Hi, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I am not Patrick Thompson, the pastor of New City Church. Uh, my name is Kristen, um, and I am going to be sharing the word today. I get the wonderful blessing and also humility punch of um, getting to teach uh, typically once a series, um, and I absolutely love it. I consider it such a privilege, and I am so excited to be with you today. Um, so I see a lot of new faces. It might just be new to me. Sometimes I'm up with the kids. Sometimes I'm at the Fidei Church. So if I haven't met you before, please come up and introduce yourself. Um, also, I'm really bad with names. I'm really sorry. I'm working on it. It's a skill I know I've got to get better at. So if I have met you before and I don't remember your name, please do not be offended. Um, so, but I'm really happy everyone's here today, and I'm excited to jump some more into this um, root series that we've been talking about. So we've been talking about root causes and specifically thinking through um, the idea of planting. We all got our seeds the first week. Um, if you didn't get seeds, I wish we had more. We don't. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been really cool to talk about like what seeds we can plant from the gospel and then what roots grow out of those seeds and then what fruit is um, comes as a result of that. Um, and so I'm going to jump in and keep talking about that today. Uh, so I'll pray and then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for this opportunity this morning um, to worship together and to um, fellowship with one another and also to, to hear from your word. Please let the, um, the words that are coming out of my mouth um, be coming from you and uh, not from me. And please um, give us ears to hear what you're speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Was that my fault? Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, great. So Patrick, as he's been going through this, has been starting with the seed and then the root and then hitting the fruit. But I'm going to do something a little bit different today because I like to mix it up. Um, I'm actually going to start with the fruit and then we're going to go back and talk about how we get to the fruit. So today I'm talking about the fruit specifically of freedom. When Paul was writing to the Colossians, um, this was in a time where they were um, essentially being told by a lot of false teachers that Jesus was not enough, that there were other things that they had to do. And a lot of this was very man-made things. So things like festivals and traditions and rules that they had to follow. And so when Paul is writing to the Colossians, he's trying to um, counteract all of these false teachings. And one of the false teachings is this idea that, yes, Jesus saved you, but you also need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and you need to keep these laws and these commands. So that's the context that we're coming at today. And so I'm going to go ahead and jump in. We're going to be in Colossians 2, 16 to 23. It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. 
So what Paul is explaining that Christ is offering here is actually something that the Colossian church was starving for. They were being told that they had to do X, Y, Z in order to support their faith, in order to secure their faith, in order to make um, their faith really fruitful. And Paul is counteracting that. He's saying, okay, you're actually not saved by those rituals and traditions. They don't really have that much value. In fact, they don't even really have any value at all outside of Christ. And this was something that was really, really encouraging to them because they were living in a world where they were told you have to do all of these things. And that could seem very like past, especially in light of our current culture, that's very much like you live your truth and I'll do my truth, et cetera, et cetera. But if you think about it, we actually have tons of expectations on us, often which are very unfair. So whether it's societal norms, um, traditions, rules that people make up for like, what it means to be a good friend, et cetera, et cetera. We have so many expectations on us, and this is very comparable to our culture today. Um, we're given these uh, taboos and expectations that we're expected to live up to. People around us often expect us to be perfect because otherwise it's offensive to them in some way. And that comes through um, in work, at home, in our relationships with our families, at school, um, and even in our recreation. Even though these expectations are maybe not spoken, they're still very much existent. Um, and that can lead to a lot of uh, like rampant anxiety. Uh, it can be very anxiety-inducing. We can all probably think of a time when we have been around a person, maybe a boss or a coworker, who it felt like they had a lot of expectations, but those expectations were not communicated to us. And so then it's very difficult to follow along with that. Um, nobody wants to live that way. I, at least I don't. I don't think any of you do as well. And so that's why this passage that Paul is bringing to us is so powerful, because he's telling us in verse 16 that the true substance, the meat, is actually Christ. It's not in following these traditions. It's not in following these rules. In fact, he says that a life of following the rules is actually a life where you're cheated out of your reward. And so that is a fruit of freedom that we are offered today. So what I want to do is I want to talk about how do we get to that fruit of freedom. We'll revisit that at the end of what that looks like. So as we're doing these garden analogies with the roots and the seeds and the fruit and all those things, I was thinking about how often I love to garden. I actually um, grew up in a very farming community. Um, my family has a farm, and so I know a lot about gardening, <laughs> probably more than I want to know. Um, and there's lots of things that can affect when you plant a seed. So there can be bad weather, um, bad soil. There um, are pests that will attack those. And so I want to talk about um, some of those pests today, if you will, really two pests um, that are kind of the enemies of this fruit of freedom. So if we let these two pests get in and attack our plants, then we're not going to be able to bear that fruit of freedom. Um, the first pest is legalism, and the second one is recklessness. It's kind of two ends of the spectrum. Uh, so we have freedom, which is what we're aiming for, but then what Paul is counteracting here is legalism, the idea that we have to follow X, Y, and Z of man-made rules and expectations. But then the other side is recklessness and just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, regardless of how it affects yourself or others around you. And so... The first thing that we have to have in order to fight this off is the good seed of security. So Patrick actually talked a lot about this uh, last week. We were talking, um, we were texting, and he was like, honestly, I'd tease you up. You could just hit a home run next week. And I was like, oh, great. Thanks, Patrick. No pressure at all. Um, but it really is what we talked about. We talked about how faith um, is 
is really what it all comes down to. It's that centralized faith in Christ. And, um, and as you're going to see today, everything that we talk about is really just going to be a progression of what we talked about last week. Because if we are rooted in that faith of Christ, then we're going to find rest in him. When we have a strong root, a strong foundation, then we can rest, we can have peace, rather than focusing on our own striving, on trying to meet those expectations, these rules, um, whatever. We could get into, um, I won't do this today, I have done history lessons here in the past, but there's so many um, rules and laws um, in the Old Testament. And there, that was important for the time and that was important for the context, but when Jesus come, he said that he came to fulfill the law, that he met those expectations so that we don't have to live under the burden and the debt of meeting those expectations. So therefore, we can have security in our salvation, and we can have rest. As we walk in forgiveness, we can know that our debt is paid, and it is in that debt being paid that we have the security, that we have that seed that keeps us safe and with a strong foundation. Um, now, with the language of debt, there's a lot of financial metaphors here, which I know none of us have ever dealt with finances or difficulties at all whatsoever. Um, but uh, last year, I um, was actually unemployed for a time, and this was the right decision for me, uh, but it did make my finances very, very tight. And so, obviously, I was very, very careful with my finances. Then when I got my new job and I was able to like build my savings back in, and I was feeling pretty good... The first thing I did was I bought two things, AirPods and new bedding. Now, neither of these are like need to survive. Are they very convenient? Yes. All my headphones were broken and I listened to podcasts and music all day long. So that really sunk. Um, and then my bedding, I mean, it was fine, but it had been through the wash quite a few times and it was, it was ready for something new. Um, these weren't needs though. So when my finances were tight, I wasn't really secure enough where I could justify buying AirPods, let's be honest. But when I was in a place of security, when my debt, if you will, was paid, then I was able to say like, okay, what makes sense? What is convenient for me right now? And I was secure enough in my finances to say, okay, I think I can buy AirPods and new bedding now. Um, now, this metaphor falls a little bit short because obviously the gospel is so much bigger than my finances, um, but the, uh, the imagery is still there. It's this idea that because our debt is paid, because Christ has paid for our salvation, we can be secure to live in him. We'll get in a second um, onto the idea of, um, of like, that doesn't mean, okay, just do whatever you want, um, but we can know that we are secure in our faith and that he is the source of our salvation. Um, since our debt is paid, we don't have to live worrying if there's a new bill for righteousness that's coming up. He uh, has paid the bill for our holiness, and therefore we can be fully secure in his payments and not our own. So the big thing I want us to get from this seed of security is the fact that Christ did not save us to continue living in debt. If we are living our lives constantly trying to earn our salvation— by being, quote-unquote, good, by following the rules, then we're still living a life that is focused on that debt. We're not able, or we're not really reflecting and celebrating the fact that our payments are already paid. He paid the price, and we are secure in that. In our passage today, specifically in verses 16 and 17, 
It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, what matters, what we should focus on is of Christ. He is the security that we need. We cannot create our own security. Take it from someone who has tried. Many of us probably have in many ways as well, whether it's um, chasing after being good or chasing after fulfilling our own self-will. It's not enough. It's not going to satisfy. The substance is of Christ. So to grow from that seed of security, it's really important that we live in reflection and thanksgiving. It's this whole idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves because let's be honest, as we go throughout our lives, as we go throughout our days, it can be really hard to remember that we have that seed of security. I know for me, if I'll be the first to say I can be a little bit of a drama queen. I'm working on it. But if I'm going through my day and the most minor inconvenience happens, I'm immediately like, oh, why did that have to happen to me? That is when I'm not living in that security. But if I'm constantly telling myself and reminding myself, like, you're secure, you're safe, like, the fact that someone bumped into you in the subway is not going to ruin your life, Kristen, then I'm able to remember that my debt is paid. Now, obviously, that's a very, like, small example. There are bigger, grander things. If you were here a couple months ago for my testimony, you know that uh, there's a lot more there. But the reality is that no matter what it is, big or small, Christ's seed of security is where we can build our hope. And the more and more that we remind ourselves of that, celebrate that, thank the Lord for that, reflect on that, the more and more it's going to be present in our minds and in our hearts as we go throughout our days. There is nothing we can do to add to the sacrifice he gave. Our salvation is secure in him and him alone. So that seed of security is how we counteract the legalism. When we are in a place of feeling secure in our faith, then it becomes less about the rules and doing the right thing and meeting other people's expectations. And it becomes so much more about our relationship with the Lord. And then that leads into this idea that from that seed of security, we can grow the roots of discernment. And those strong roots and that strong foundation then counteract the pest of recklessness. So when our seed of security is planted, those roots of discernment grow out of that salvation and security. I don't want us to get this backwards, okay? It's not that because we're wise, because we're discerning, because we know the right thing to do, we have the seed of security. It's not the way plants work. We all know this. The seed goes in first. He secured our salvation. He is the one that we can rely on and trust in. But then out of that, we are able to grow we're able to learn, we're able to develop wisdom, and the discernment that comes through that. Um, we can't just stop at the security. Once I had money in my savings, I did not go buy a yacht. Why? Because that did not reflect the life that I have. <laughs> um, and in the same way, being secure in Christ doesn't mean that we just go and do whatever we feel like doing. Similar to my finances, we take the grace that we've been given and we live a life that reflects the life that we have. Because our sin was put to death on the cross, we don't want to continue in it. Now, is God's salvation big enough to handle if and when we do sin? Yes, of course, it absolutely is. We know that it covers all of our sin. But what kind of response would that be to his sacrifice? If we're able to live in such security, then a life that honors him is going to give us far more, as Patrick always says, pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. 
That is a life that reflects the situation that we're in. 1 Corinthians 6, um, there's actually a lot of passages very similar to the one we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians 6 is one of them. I really love how he says it. Um, Paul says, look, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. <laughs> like, okay, sure, you could do that, but should you? Is it really going to help you? Makes me think about my time as a teacher when a student would ask me, Ms. Phelps, can I turn in my project a week late? And I'd be like, Sure, you can turn in your project a week late, but it's probably not going to be to your benefit to do so. I imagine Jesus is a little bit less sarcastic than me, but the same idea applies. Sure, we are free and we are secure in our faith, so therefore we have a lot of room, but is it always going to be helpful for us? This is where this discernment comes in. Um, another passage that speaks to this is Romans 5, 18 um, to through 6, 4. I'm going to read the whole thing, but specifically um, Romans 6, 1 through 4 will be on the screen. Therefore, as one trespass led, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That first section, the part that I just read, is talking about that secure faith that we have because grace has abounded far more than our sin ever could. And then he says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This newness of life is actually referenced multiple times in Scripture. Like I said, Ephesians 4 is another example. Um, when we're called to take off our old self, our life before we sec were secure in Christ, and we're called to put on our new life. Paul tells us this because he doesn't want us to continue to live and walk according to whatever we feel like doing or whatever else other people are doing. And this is for our benefit. He wants us to renew our minds and renew our lives because that is what gives us the hope or that's what helps us see and reflect the hope that we have in him. When we have that seed of security, we're going to live differently. It's not going to be something that we are like, oh, okay, fine, whatever, cool, I have that seed of security. There is such peace in having that security that it is, there's going to be no way to not live differently from that. So we know that living in our salvation doesn't mean following a list of rules. We have that security and therefore we can fight legalism. But it does mean something new and different. It doesn't mean, okay, continue, do whatever you want. So how do we find that new and different? This comes through the roots of discernment. Um, the scripture passage, continuing on, um, in verse 18 and 19, it says, So let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. So he's saying other people are not holding fast, but this is a command for what we should be doing. Holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So it's simply this, to live well in grace, 
we need to discern what is becoming to our new life. We're going to live in a way that matches the grace and security that we now have. So how do we do that? Very simple. We cling to Christ's wisdom instead of our own. I love um, the imagery of shepherds and sheep in scripture. Um, so sheep are kind of notoriously not super intelligent animals. And um, I, first of all, I just love like the comfort that a shepherd provides. But one thing that's really cool in biblical times is that um, there would be like all these sheep, like shepherding was huge. Obviously it's all through scripture. And um, there would be massive flocks of sheep and they would often get like mixed in together. You know, if like Drew and I are both shepherds, we're going to hang out. We're going to grab some coffee. Our sheep are probably going to get mixed in because we're hanging out in the same pasture. But what's so cool about this is that the sheep know their shepherd's voice super, super well. And so at the end of the day, you know, Drew and I part our ways, I could call out to my sheep and they would follow me. They might not be great at doing complex math, but they know their shepherd's voice. And it's the same way for us. The more and more that we hear his voice, the more and more that we put ourselves in a place to hear from him, the more recognizable it's going to become. Um, I talked a lot previously about this idea of rules and expectations. And those rules can be a myriad of things, depending on how you grew up, depending on your cultural background, etc. So for me, growing up, it was very much, you need to read your Bible and pray in the morning. I can understand the value in the morning, but as a non-morning person, this was constantly a source of guilt for me. It was like, oh no, I do my Bible reading and prayer at night, so I'm probably not a very good Christian. Obviously, there's a lot of flawed logic with that, but that was a rule and an expectation that my tradition very much placed on me. But, so the, the, like, counteracting the idea of legalism, I can say to myself, like, okay, I am secure in my faith. It is okay if you do your time with the Lord in the evening. That's actually not in scripture as a requirement. Um, and I can be secure in that. But on the flip side of that, we have this idea of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not something that saves us. They're not what we're secure in. They're not what gives us salvation. But what they do is they put us in a posture and in a place where we can draw closer to the Lord. So prayer and scripture reading are super important, but they're not important because they save me. They're important because they help me draw closer to him. He is there, and it's putting me in a posture to receive that and to commune with him. This idea of the sheep knowing their shepherd, they know it because they've heard it so many times. It's the same way. When I'm putting myself in a posture and in a place where I'm hearing the Lord's voice over and over and over again, I'm spending time with his people. I'm spending time in his word. I'm spending time like giving of myself to him. It's going to be easier for me to hear his voice and to be discerning. Um, I won't get too much into this, but Richard J. Foster has a book called Celebration of Discipline. I cannot recommend it enough. It honestly is probably, other than the Bible, the book that has shaped my faith the most. And um, he breaks it into a couple of things. And he is the one who um, I really came to understand disciplines because of, uh, where he has multiple introductory chapters where he just talks about like the importance of discipline, but not as a way of like, not as a means of receiving grace or not as a means of, earning our salvation, but much more of putting us in a place where we can celebrate and, um, and enjoy. 
uh, that salvation. And so he talks about multiple disciplines. Um, the inward disciplines he talks about are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. So these are the kind of things where it's like you, you and God. Um, so meditation, specifically dwelling on one idea for a period of time. Prayer, obviously just talking to God, sharing with him and listening from him. Fasting, um, which is denying ourselves in order to be in a place where we can focus more on the things of the Lord. And then study, getting into scripture, finding out what things mean, learning the history, learning the context, learning what verses connect to one another. These are all the inward disciplines that can help put us in a posture to grow closer to God. Then next we have the outward disciplines. Um, these are simplicity, the idea of removing distractions from your life. This is something I've been working really hard to practice and is revolutionizing my life. Um, solitude, it's a quietness of spirit. This, one, this chapter in the book is seared into my brain because he talks about allowing um, Christ to be the advocate for us instead of attempting to constantly be explaining ourselves and making people understand what I meant by X, Y, Z, but instead just living in a, in a meek, quiet, secure place and trusting that he's our advocate. Um, submission, doing things you don't want to do because it's helpful to someone else. Um, and service of being able to support others, um, support the people around you, support one another. Um, and then the corporate disciplines, um, which are exciting because we're literally doing one of them right now. Um, the first one is confession, telling each other what you're struggling with, holding each other accountable. Um, worship, coming together, celebrating what Christ has done, um, praising him for that. Guidance, this is like mentorship, giving each other advice and counsel. And then celebration of just enjoying the Lord together. These are all disciplines that do not earn our salvation. I want to make this very, very, very clear. The seed, the security, comes from Christ. Colossians talks about it. It talks about the substance of Christ. It talks about coming from God. That is our seed and that is our security. But when we are secure in that, we're then able to put ourselves in a place where we learn more about him, we grow more with him, we grow more with one another, and then that is going to help us be discerning. That's going to help us hear his voice. Scripture is very clear about many things, and it's also not clear about many things. There's lots of like gray areas or non-gospel issues where sometimes it's like, I don't super know exactly what God wants me to do here. For example, when I was unemployed and I was applying to different jobs, scripture did not tell me you need to apply to this job listing on LinkedIn. It's not how it works. Um, so I had to have a level of discernment with that. But because I was spending time with the Lord, and I'll be honest, wasn't always and was really struggling when I wasn't, but when I was spending time with the Lord, when I was um, getting counsel from other believers, when I was um, in a place of like spending alone time with the Lord and really seeking him, it was a lot clearer, okay, these are the jobs that seem like they would be a good fit for me, basically to not be in the same situation that I had just left, which was a huge thing for me. Um, it wasn't because like I had a neon sign in the sky that suddenly told me like, these are the jobs you need to apply for. But because I was constantly spending time with the Lord, I was able to have peace in those decisions. And I was able to discern um, what the next steps were supposed to be. Cannot stress this enough. Disciplines do not save us, but they do help us draw closer to him. So we've got that seed of security where we know our salvation is safe. That counteracts legalism. Then we have the roots of um, discernment 
which help us counteract this idea of recklessness, of just, well, my sin is covered, so I can do whatever I want now. And then out of that seed and out of those roots comes the fruit of freedom. So now we're back to the fruit. Because we know our faith, hope, and salvation are found in Jesus, we can grow those roots of discernment. It alleviates the pressure for us to do X, Y, Z in order to be saved, and it actually allows us to enjoy those disciplines rather than to see them as a burden. My scripture reading and my prayer time are so much more rich when I'm not doing them because my mom told me to. (laughs) You could say that for any of the disciplines. They're going to be so much more valuable when it comes from a place of security rather than striving to receive that security. Um, But then once we plant that seed and once we grow those roots, the question may be, okay, what does that freedom look like? What does the fruit look like? And the reality is, and this is so cool to me, it actually happens very naturally. It's very simple. When we are secure in our faith and when we are growing those roots of spending time with him, spending time with one another, um, denying ourselves, etc., it's going to be natural. It's not going to be something we have to freak out or fret over. St. Augustine, I love this quote from him. Uh, he says, love God and do whatever you please. Probably don't hear that very much. Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Think about in a romantic relationship. When you are so in tune with the person that you love, you want to give them absolutely everything in the world, you're in sync, you're flowing, the two of you are on the same page, fully in love, you're probably not sitting there thinking, oh gosh, what do I say to this person next? It's just flowing out of your love. And and what they're saying to you is flowing out of their love to you. In the same way, when we are so in love with God, then our actions will naturally flow. We will naturally be in a place where we're going to be honoring him because we are loving him. When we're living in true gospel freedom, our desires are simply going to be more aligned to his. We'll be free to pursue those desires too because we have spent so much time with him, with his people, in his word. The things that we're going to want are going to be shaped and changed according to his will, and then we're going to be free to pursue them. As we often say here, and I've said it a couple times already, a life lived in Jesus offers far more pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope than a life not in pursuit of him. A lot of times we think about desires that we have as being enemies of Christ, as being enemies of our salvation. I had um, asked Katie to read Psalm 37 this morning because that scripture talks about like rest in Jesus and live your life. When we are so secure and so centered on him what flows out of us and the desires that we have are going to for the most part be honoring to him and in fact they're probably going to be grander more beautiful more peace-giving life-giving desires than what we would have had otherwise c.s lewis says it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak The desires that we have when we're not focused on him are actually too weak of desires. He wants us to have stronger desires. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud mud pies in a slum, 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What's so cool about the freedom of Christ is that it's actually far more than we could imagine in light of our own freedom, in light of that self-will that we talked about earlier. When we're living out of those pests of legalism and recklessness, we're actually living a life of slavery to those things. Either living a life of slavery to the rules or a life of slavery to chasing and striving and always wanting more out of our own wills. But when we're living out of security and discernment, then we're able to open up to a vast world of possibilities. Another C.S. Lewis quote, he was on a roll with this topic. He says, when God talks of our losing ourselves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once we have done that, he really gives us back all our personality and boasts that when we are wholly his, we will be more ourselves than ever. That is the fruit of freedom. That is the fruit that we're able to bear, to be more wholly ourselves than ever, to have a holiday at the sea rather than making mud pies in a slum. So let's review. Planting the seed of security and then fostering that and growing that through the disciplines creates strong roots of discernment. And because we are secure in that faith in Christ and because we have those strong roots of discernment, we are able to bear the fruit of freedom. A heart that is so entirely focused on and satisfied in Christ is a heart that is truly free. It's my hope that we would live in this freedom. And so I want to finish today with these questions. Are you living in bondage to a life of legalism, trying to find security in following rules and expectations rather than in the security of Christ? Are you living in bondage to a life of recklessness, constantly chasing and striving after whatever your gut tells you, but which is ultimately fleeting and unsatisfying? Or are you living a life of unbelievable freedom, without the weight of rules, but in the safety of his guidance? If you're not living in that freedom, know that it's being offered to us today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the freedom that you offer us, um, for taking the weight, the burden of our debt and paying it in full. From letting us know that we are secure and that we do not have to strive in a way to earn our salvation, to follow man-made laws and rules, but to know that we can rest and have peace in what you have already done. Thank you also for allowing us to fellowship and commune with you. I'm so grateful that when you saved us and you paid that debt in full, that you didn't then turn around and leave us, but rather you invite us into a relationship where we can discern a life that is pleasing to you and that brings us abundant joy. Thank you for your guidance and for the hope that you offer us. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you, God. In my feeble words today, where I often find myself falling short of being able to explain what I want to explain, I pray that you 
use those words, that you use this scripture, this message, this time together to give us hope in that freedom, to excite and ignite our hearts for that freedom. Please help us to know that we are secure in our faith. Please help us to live a life totally in communion with you so that we're able to discern. And then please help us, as Augustine says, to love you and do whatever comes out of that. In Jesus' name.